This is a new public service podcast brought to you in full by Hachi the Hack. Hachi the Hack probably gives a f- what you think. If you don't like it, then you can find another means of entertainment. Little did you know upon giving this a chance, you have just found the best thing about lockdown. Hachi the Hack is fed up with the media and government sh- and may well let rip. Anything else? I guess followed and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to my Corona Podcast, episode seven. I'm your host, Hodgie the Hack, and today we're back talking football, and more specifically, the Bundesliga to that end. I have joining me a man who's been a bit of a mentor, to be honest, in my career as a commentator. Although it has to be said, this guy's a hundred times more polished at the craft than me. It's former match of the day commentator, now Bundesliga World Feed regular, Dan O'Hagan. Dan, my man, how are you doing? I'm good, pal. Not so bad at all. Good to speak to you. Hi, uh, have you enjoyed uh, our wee chats over the years, sort of drinking coffee at Costa, <laughs> other outlets, that sort of thing? Um, I mean, we've both shared the, the joy of covering Norwich City in the past. Uh, what, what was it like encountering a Scottish voice on, on the airwaves covering Norwich? Was that a wee bit of a, a jarring thing or did you enjoy the change? I think you kind of came along at the same time as Alex Neal, so it was a kind of Scottish takeover at <laughs> But no, we're good. And you know, I, I live back in Norfolk now, so I think it's the kind of place that, uh, when you go there, it kind of gets under your skin a bit, and always becomes, you know, a kind of natural place to uh, to kind of migrate to when you get the chance. So uh, love Norfolk, love Norwich, and uh, yeah, nice to be back here, but just uh, maybe not in these circumstances. No, no, I get that, mate. Um, and I will say, I, I can definitely agree with that myself. It's the only place other than home up here in Scotland where I've felt at home. And if if fate takes me back down there, then we'll be having coffees again more regularly. Anyway, for newcomers to the podcast, what we aim to do on My Corona Pod is we aim to inform and entertain and engage on the podcast. Today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be providing a bit of an introduction into the league that everyone's talking about right now, given its return last weekend. So what I'm hoping is this should give newbies to the Bundesliga an excellent picture of what it's all about over there. And a man of Dan's calibre and knowledge will even be able to teach aficionados a thing or two over the next hour or so, I'm hoping. So Dan, let's start off with an easy one for you. Is the Bundesliga the best league in the world? And how proud are you to cover it? I'm biased. I think it is the best league in the world. I think certainly in terms of when the stadiums are open, obviously, fan culture, um, fan involvement, ownership of the clubs, I think, um, is so that you don't have billionaires buying up um, the best players across the world. It's a more mm. organic league. Um, I think the football on the field is of a terrific standard. Um, I know Bayern have been dominant in recent years, but I think the bulk of the teams are much closer to how they are in maybe the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, yeah, I think it's a wonderful product. And uh, for those people new to it, I hope you enjoy. But please understand that without 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 the fans there, it's not quite as it is normally. But hopefully, you'll get some taste of to what the Bundesliga is all about. So you obviously had a look over match day one as well as the game that you covered yourself. I'm sure you you, you were a, a, across all of the rest of it. Just how weird was it? Like because obviously it's football without fans, and the great Jock Steen said that football without fans is nothing. Um, do you think that was proven to be true or do you think that there was definitely some value in, in bringing it back in some way, shape or form? Well, I think the viewing figures, both in the UK and Germany, show it was the right thing to bring it back. It's kind of given people live sport. We've not had live sport for two months, which is unheard of. Um, as for the games themselves, 
I thought the quality was okay. I think teams look maybe a bit tired because they've had, you know, pretty much 70 days off. That's like a pre-season, but no yeah. pre-season friendlies. So players and teams were, I think, towards the end of matches, a bit leggy. Um, they are allowed to make five substitutions, which is a change for this kind of um, weird time we're having right now to uh, let coaches rest players and to use their squads a bit more. But I thought what was on the field was pretty good. Some good stories. Obviously, um, Dortmund beating Schalke in the Revere derby was the big one. Bayern, um, again, go four points clear. Gladbach were terrific in their win at Eintracht Frankfurt. So I think, yeah, it was good. I think having football back was, was wonderful. Um, and OK, it's not football as we know it. It's football as it's going to be for the next few weeks, for sure. Just for the uninitiated, what were the kind of guidelines that, that Germany gave out regarding sort of contact and all of these things? I mean, the, the enduring image for me was Haaland, like, you know that celebration where he was doing the kind of robot sort of dance type thing? Uh, but he was on his own. There was, there was none of his teammates there with him sort of doing it. So what were the, and then there was the, the situation with Dedrick Boyata, the former Celtic player just uh, giving kisses out and, and totally flouting the guidelines, you know? So what were the, the kind of stipulations that were given out with prior to the return? And, and how do you think those affected the, the, the product and, and what we saw? The guidelines are there, obviously, to kind of limit um, close contact and proximity, which is understandable. So things like on match days, um, the teams will use more than one um, dressing room, so they'll get changed in small groups. They'll arrive at the stadium on separate buses, so mm -hmm. two, three buses to bring the, the team in so they can maintain distancing on the bus. Um, when they come out of the tunnel, it's one team at a time, not you know, two side by side. Uh, goal celebrations, you can bump elbows, but you can't embrace or hug. Obviously, one or two players in the heat at the moment did kind of forget that, but that's to be expected, I guess, when a goal is scored, it's a very, obviously, emotional moment. Um, subs um, sat in the stands, not on the bench. Um, coaches were given the choice of wearing a face mask if they wanted to, um, but not essential. Um, there was no kind of... Um, did any of the coaches do that, actually? Um, I saw Christian Strike at Freiburg wearing a mask, um, so some of them did. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's baby steps. And I think the Bundesliga has done all it can to ensure the restart happened as safely as possible. And the signs are that it worked pretty well. I think that will be a blueprint now for maybe the Premier League and La Liga and Serie A to look at that and say, well, that seemed to work. Let's go along similar lines and see if we can get a restart as well because I think the appetite is there for live football again. Yeah, I think that's definite. Um, just obviously, me being a Scot myself, do, do you have any opinion in the fact that Scotland decided the league uh, just arbitrarily and the Celtic got crowned champions without the season being completed? A any particular opinion on that? It's not ideal. I think, you know, you look at Hearts going down, I think that's obviously um, one which will rile them for, for you know, years to come. Mm -hmm. As for Celtic being champions, yes, they were clear. They weren't as clear as they have been in recent seasons. You've got to say, would they have won the league anyway across the remaining match days? Possibly. But it's never, it's never a perfect solution, is it? Um, and to end the season early when they can see other leagues are getting going again, I think will great with fans, as I say, for Hearts fans especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. From a personal perspective, how glad are you, not just financially, but like in terms of the structure of your life, how glad are you to get back to commentating? And how has life changed for you in lockdown? Well, 
A lot. Um, my partner um, lives 100 miles away, so we've both been very, very strict, um, and we haven't seen each other for two months. Wow. Um, so, you know, people may have kind of bent the rules elsewhere and, and met up, but we said no. We we're going to try and lead by example here. Um, we both mm -hmm. have parents who are not in the first flush of youth anymore, so you want to protect them a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I've been on my own for eight weeks. I've you know, at work on Saturday was the first time I was in a room with another person for eight weeks, which, you know, is strange. I'm lucky living in Norfolk. Um, I live rurally, so I can go and walk and kind of clear my head and keep myself active and busy in a gorgeous part of the world. You know, others without gardens, without, you know, countryside nearby don't have that luxury. So it's been tough. It's not been as tough for me as it is for other people. Um, financially, obviously, no work at all coming in as a freelance is not ideal. Mm -hmm. But I did have, you know, luckily... Um, enough reserve to survive for a couple of months. Um, didn't get any help at all from the Chancellor because I wasn't deemed uh, worthy of his support because I happened to make uh, a few quid over his threshold. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's not been ideal. It's been, it's been difficult for all of us and it was a relief to get back to work. And as I say, not just for the job and for the money, but to kind of be with people again because, you know, the human is not um, a solitary creature. We are not designed to be locked away for weeks at a time. So it's been tough, but um, yeah, we're seeing now, I think, the first kind of green shoots of some sort of normality coming back. And uh, I'm yeah, glad for that to be the case. Yeah, totally, mate. And I, I can I can empathise completely because I, I was the same. I wasn't eligible for anything and I'm still waiting for universal credit to come through. So... I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to get to commentate in future because I was reliant on traveling and, and stuff like that. But truth be told, although I'm quite passionate about it and I'm obviously developing at it and, and getting better all the time, I, I won't be the worst thing in the world if I never commentate a football match again because fortunately I've got family and I've got everything sort of here. And I've been quite lucky that I have been able to, to see my family because, because the one household thing. So uh, from that perspective, it just shows that we're all, we're all fighting different battles at the moment, doesn't it? And yeah, and it. what I'd say as well is I think the whole football broadcast uh, business is changing because we've had to adapt in this window. I know a lot of the guys, myself included, have gone out and bought our own gear to work from home. So um, I know BT at the weekend with their German games, they had their commentators for the first time working from their houses. Um, mm. So I do think certainly... A lot of what we do as football commentators, football journalists, football broadcasters will go down the kind of self-sufficiency working from home route, which, um, you know, I can see that becoming, if not the norm, then certainly an awful lot more common, um, certainly for what's left of this season and maybe next season too, and maybe long term as well. Interesting thoughts. I'd, I'm going to need to try and get money from somewhere to buy kit then because uh, I know that those microphones don't come cheap. They are beautiful though. I saw you put a photo up of one of the, <laughs> the proper commentary mics. Gorgeous things, aren't they? They are, yeah. Um, as you say, they don't come cheap. But, uh, you know, the thing is, those lip mics, which are the ones you hold against your top lip, um, obviously are absolute kind of, you know, heaven for germs mm -hmm. so i think the situation we've had in the past where you go to a, a, a production company and you will share mics with guys who've done a game before you that won't happen now you know i use my home bought mic for the first time at the weekend um on the bundesliga and i thought after the game i'll just check and see how clean this is i looked 
and under the ridge where you kind of have it against your lip there was a film of kind of you know well germs basically and he thought well okay you know that's just from me only i'm using this mic if that was shared and that wasn't cleaned before the next person used it that's a kind of you know almost like a kind of petri dish to to kind exactly. of spread, spread and, and spread disease so i think having your own microphone will become if not um essential then certainly the norm and for commentary and um yeah i think um there'll be a lot more care taken now in wiping things down properly and and, and kind of uh, sanitizing uh, workspaces and work areas and um and yeah it's going to be um it's going to we're also going to get used to that as the kind of new way forward, I think. Yeah, and I think that's going to be sort of reflected in wider society as well, isn't it? I think loads of things are going to change. A lot of the way we do lots and lots of things in everyday life is going to be different as a result of this pandemic. But back to the football anyway. You mentioned uh, from the first match day, the Revere Derby, the, the Dortmund-Schalke game. Was that was that the big standout one for you, the, the 4-0 result there? was I mean, was that was that a more emphatic win than you were expecting? Yes, although Schalke before the break had been on a pretty um, downward spiral. Um, and, you know, from a selfish point of view, that was going to be my game before lockdown happened. I was going to be in the stadium, 80,000 people. Um, oh, no. Game with, uh, I think, with them, Stefan Freund as, as co-com. But um, that kind of went by the by, uh, which is a shame, but, you know, mm. understandable. Um, and it wouldn't have been the same being there or even doing the game off tube with no one there. So I wasn't that unhappy to kind of lose that game. But, yeah, I think Dortmund certainly, you know, the attack they have, um, Jaden Sancho this season has been fantastic. Um, obviously, Erling Haaland um, has been a revelation. Ten goals he scored now in nine matches since his arrival uh, mid-season from Salzburg. Um, terrific. And, yeah, they are, you know, probably after buying the next best team uh, in this season's Bundesliga. Um, Revere Derby, hard to say, was a derby given the circumstances. But, of course, it is. It will go down. Uh, in the annals as a Revere Derby. Um, I think Schalke's biggest loss in that match since 1966, um, which, which wow. tells us um, But uh, yeah, I think Dortmund were well worth a 4-0 win and, uh, and Schalke had problems. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things. Uh, 1966, by the way, as a Scotsman, the least mentioned about that year, the better. But... Um, no, when it comes to the, the the German league, you mentioned sort of Bayern's dominance, and obviously the Bundesliga is it's a fast, it's an attacking, it's a league where the see the Jurgen Klopp style of football that he, he adopted when he first came to Liverpool. That was all the when they talked about the heavy metal football. Now, if you actually look at Klopp's approach, he's adapted it and he's become slightly more pragmatic. And that's led to even greater success and dominance for Liverpool. But if you go back to that, I, I thought that kind of football was more reflective of what you got in the Bundesliga as a whole. But do you think Bayern's dominance has sort of kind of taken a li- just a little bit of the luster away? Because it's what? Is that um, so seven titles in a row, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, Bayern are certainly the dominant force. They have been, you know, it's not just the last seven years, it's been for 30 or 40 years at least Mm. Um, and it does take the shine off things but we had a great title race last season obviously only won on the last day by Bayern Uh, this year you've got maybe a five-horse race Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig, Gladbach and Leverkusen all within touching distance now with eight games to play so it's certainly more competitive this season than a lot of leagues Um, and Bayern haven't been perfect they had a very poor first half of the season Niko Kovac uh, the coach went in November 
Uh, Hansi Flick has come in, who was Yogi Love's uh, number two with the national team for a long, long time. And he's got them playing, you know, the Bayern way again. And they're hard to beat. I think they've, they've only dropped two points in their last 12 games, which, you know, is a, an ominous sign um, for the other teams in the Bundesliga. But this year, it's a proper title race. Uh, Bayern play Dortmund next Tuesday, which is a big, big game, given there's a four-point gap for now between the two teams as well. So... It's significant and um, it is a proper title race. If Dortmund were to win that game against Bayern, which is in Dortmund, um, then, you know, suddenly it's wide open again. So it's a proper title race, um, which is what we want, which we've not had maybe in some seasons, not last season, but maybe in some before that. But I think the product overall is in pretty rude health, the Bundesliga. Yeah, I don't think that's that's wrong to suggest. I'm just looking at the goal tallies of the, the two teams at the top. Bayern and Borussia Dortmund both go over 70 goals. 75 for Bayern, 72 for Dortmund in 26 games. That's some strike rate. That says a lot about the kind of football that's successful in that league, does it not? It does, and also the players they have. You look at Bayern's attack, obviously, Robert Lewandowski, uh, Thomas Muller, Kinsey Coman, Serge Gnabry, um, Philip Coutinho when he plays, Dortmund, Jaden Sancho, Marco Royce, Erling Haaland, um, Rafael Guerrero's coming into his own the last um, few match days as well. So, yeah, attack-wise, fantastic. And, yeah, there are teams who, who, who ship a lot of goals, um, but also they'll score goals themselves as well. So it is an open league. There aren't too many goalless matches. I know we had one at the weekend with uh, Paderborn, um, at Fortuna Dusseldorf, but it, it's it's a great league to watch. And as I say, for those who are new to the Bundesliga, um, open your eyes, maybe look away from the Premier League, and uh, there is certainly good football to be played in Germany. And um, for now, we're the kind of focus and the the only league playing. Excellent. Now, what I want to do is for people who are new to the league, it's it's a tapestry. It's a tapestry full of sort of different teams, different styles. So I want to go through and maybe pick pick out some sort of key players, some key stylistic features, that kind of thing. And we might as well start at the top with the top two. So I think we both know the kind of background of, of Bayern and Dortmund. Um, who would you say the, the key players are for, for both of those teams then? I think for Bayern, um, obviously Lewandowski. Um, a striker who, they don't have a plan B. So when he's injured or, um, or is suspended, which rarely happens, but when he does have a knock, as he had just before this... Um, enforced break they can't really replace him with like for like so uh, Lewandowski plays most games in league and cup and champions league but his record's phenomenal he's 31 now so he's in the very kind of peak of his powers as a striker and you know I've commentated now for 22 years and I have never seen a striker who in front of goal is as reliable as clinical as deadly as single-minded as Lewandowski is um, I think I've said this season in commentary that he's, he's you know, a goal-scoring machine. Um, he he kind of shows no emotion in front of goal. Um, and he's worked, I think, 220-plus goals now in the Bundesliga um, for Bayern and for Dortmund before that. Phenomenal. And um, I think Bayern, he's the main reason, I think, this season why they probably will win the title is because... You know, he's so reliable. He's he's the master of his art. And uh, I'm just going to fling some stats at you, actually, as well, about him. He's 26 goals in 26 match days and 112 shots. The next closest in terms of shots is Timo Werner, who's got 15 fewer with 97. That tells you a lot just about the, the kind of predatory instincts that he's got, doesn't it? 
it does it also tells you that for Bayern he is their main man you know there's no one else who can kind of fill that hole and uh, fill the role he is the kind of fo the focal point of the attack but um, yeah 31 so he is at the very zenith now of his career mm -hmm. um, and his game is just um, yeah it's to watch him play week in week out as I'm lucky enough to do is a privilege because these players don't come along you know too often Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Also, Thomas Muller tops the assist charts, I notice, with 16 assists so far this season. Is he very much playing the, the, the kind of Ramdeuter role that he was, he was famed for in his youth, or has his game changed a bit? Thomas Muller is back because he was probably had his best football under Pep Guardiola. Um, and then when Ancelotti came in, um, and then Niko Kovac, it didn't seem to work. He didn't seem to fit in, under Kovac especially. And I know there were one or two kind of very barbed social media comments from Thomas Muller's wife at the time about why her husband wasn't starting games and, and, and that kind of thing. But since Hansi Flick has come in, uh, the old Thomas Muller's back. He's scoring goals, but he's also assisting on a, on, on a remarkably high level. Um, I think he and Jaden Sancho are the top two assisters in this season's Bundesliga. Uh, and Muller's cleverness. Um, he was never the quickest, but it's that football brain um, to spot the pass and the combination he has with Lewandowski. It's that kind of telepathy, which, um, again, does, doesn't come along too often. And mm. I think Thomas Fuller, there's not one player at Bayern who has benefited more from Hansi Flick coming in than Thomas Muller. It's like night and day how his form has gone from being in and out of the team and, and not that key in attacker to being suddenly the kind of main pivot around that entire Bayern uh, attacking unit. Interesting. On to Dortmund then. Jadon Sancho, third in the scoring charts with 14 goals, second in the assist charts with 15 assists. And he's not starting all the games. So why is he not starting all the games? He has been recently. Um, start of the season, he was kind of in and out of the team a bit. But we forget with Sancho, he only turned 20 on March the 25th. Um, those numbers, you know, double figures, goals and assists, it's up there with anybody. Those are almost messy like numbers. And he's yeah, absolutely. Um, so you kind of think, you know, where's this guy going to end up in terms of his potential? Because it is absolutely frightening. Um, and he's, you know, speaking as someone who lives in England, he's, he's kind of a, a, an English player. He's, he, he's one of ours, inverted commas. Um, but I just think Jaden Sancho, for him, the sky is the limit because he's got it all. Um, he's got the, the, um, the skill he's got the pace he's got the football brain um and he's got it appears the shoulders to be able to handle being a superstar which mm. a lot of players can't do it takes a very certain kind of mentality to be able to shoulder that i am the main man um mantle and a 20 to do that you know in a team where he's playing alongside people like um marco royce and uh, mario gertz is at the club who scored a winning goal in a world cup final and for him to be big enough as a man already to, to be up there with them and say, yeah, I'll, I can lead this team now, that shows just how, how important, how grown up Jadon Sancho is already. What do you think the difference is culturally between Germany and England in, in that sort of sense? Because Sancho's gone over there and he's been able to handle that, but do you think it's the media scrutiny or whatever in, in England that sometimes just destabilises these young players? Because... If you think of maybe a comparison, different type of player, but see like a Ross Barkley, for example, right? When he first came through, you were thinking, right, this kid's got a lot to his game. What can he What can he do? Where can he go? And then eventually what happens is with a lot of these players in England, it can just plateau or 
at the very top clubs, it's like, yeah, well, we've got, uh, we've just spent a hundred million pounds on a player, so we're kind of under an obligation to play him. So that that then condenses the, the the chances of a young player getting the opportunity to to come in the team and do what they want to do. Now, what is it about the culture in German football, and particularly with Dortmund as well, where? they are just allowed to get that chance to go and maybe make a few mistakes, but then sort of flower into to real sort of world-beating players. What's the difference there for you? It's not the culture. It's not the media. It's playing games. I think um, Dortmund, he was signed at 17 um, because Sancho himself, I think, went to Guardiola, which shows immense kind of, um, you know, belief in himself to say, I want first-team football. And he couldn't be guaranteed that at Man City. So he was sold to Dortmund for, you know, I think a fairly modest £8 million, which now looks to be one of the kind of sales of... of what a steal. <laughs> um, and he was playing at 17 and games enable a young player to grow. And the Bundesliga is notorious, if that's the right word, for giving players a chance and making those young players at a young age the kind of focal figure. You look at Kai Havertz at Bayer Leverkusen. He's another one who came in at 17. Um, when he was still taking exams at school and um, to play in their first team. And now he's at 20 himself, their key player. So Sancho, I think, he, he wouldn't have got this chance in England at a top club. Um, and that's the difference. That's what's enabled him to become a man, if you like, much quicker, and a leader much quicker, and a first team player much quicker. And that's to his benefit, obviously to England's benefit as well, because uh, I'm sure it'll be for the national team now a, a, a cornerstone of their team for the next 10 to 15 years, because you know, he is, he is the, I think Sancho is the next player to be in that bracket with Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe, Luis Suarez. He, wow. he, he is that level, or very close to, and within two or three years he'll be at that level. Big, big talk there, Dan, and coming from a man that knows his stuff. Let's talk a wee bit more in, in detail about Dortmund. I noticed they've got three of the top five assist makers, but Sancho and 14 goals is, is the only one sort of in the top five of the scoring charts. What that tells me is it's a team that shares around the goals. Torgan Hazard's got 11 assists, Ashraf Hakimi's got 10. What is it? Is, does, does that suggest that Bayern are a team that basically plays for getting the ball to Lewandowski and Dortmund, on the other hand, are a team that likes to share it around more, maybe a bit more fluid and flexible in their shape and the, the dynamic of the movement? That's true. I think Dortmund have had more injuries. Marco Royce um, has had problems. Um, Paco Alcacer, who they've now sold, um, he, at the start of the season, couldn't get a, a run in the side, so he had you know, problems with injuries was in and out of the first team. Um, whereas Bayern, as I say, Lewandowski plays most games because he's so kind of strong and so kind of fit and, and, and he, he rarely misses a match for Bayern. So it is a, a different way of doing things. Dortmund, I think, do have more creativity, more goals through the team than Bayern do. You mentioned the assist there. I mean, Hakimi's a fullback with, with, with 10 assists. Um, it just shows me. And they're talking as Hazard too from Gladbach, who's been a real revelation and for me now he's not too far behind his brother in terms of where he is in the mm. world game pantheon now I think uh, Torben Hazard's had a wonderful season but yeah different teams and as I say Dortmund tend to share the goals and assists Bayern tends to go, go all through Robert Lewandowski but um, it works for both So you mentioned the other teams that are up there um, earlier on in, in the top five in the potential of a title race so eight points separating Bayern at the top and Bayer Leverkusen in fifth Leipzig are a point above Leverkusen on 51, Gladbach a point above them on 52, Dortmund on 54, four behind. 
Um, so as for Leipzig, Leverkusen and Gladbach, um, t- t- talk us a bit through, through sort of them, because Leipzig have been there thereabouts. Um, we in, in Scotland and in the UK have seen quite a bit of them sort of in the, in the European stage in recent years. They've obviously sort of come up through the divisions. I think there was kind of strong financial backing. Um, do you think that they are too reliant on Timo Werner to ever sort of sustain that title challenge? Or is there more to their team than that? I think they're a very young team. Um, the Leipzig way of doing things is that they don't buy players off the peg. They will go and with their scouting network and the network of clubs, of course, you think of Salzburg, you think of uh, Red Bull, in New York and there's a, a club in Brazil now as well and they have this kind of kind of football um, family of clubs which you know okay it's a new way of doing things it may not be a way which is to everyone's tastes and what they do as well as putting players through those clubs they have a, a network of scouts who will look for players who are at a young age but have maybe been missed by other clubs so they'll go to places like um, the Swiss League where they found Matthias Cunha and they'll go to the Austrian League, to obviously Salzburg, uh, and, and bring players through there. They'll look at the French second division, um, where they, they found um, a couple of years ago, their centre-back, um, Ibrahim Konate, who is now, I think, worth 30 million plus. Um, so, yeah, they have a way of doing things. Um, and I think they know that they are a club who will have to sell players on, but that's okay. That's part of their model, to be sustaining in that way, that they will find the next team of Werner and when this team of Werner's gone, they'll make a lot of money on him and then push the next one through. So that's the way they're doing it. Um, as this season, um, I think they may have run out of steam a little bit. They have in Julian Nagelsmann, I think, the best young coach in the European game and their football's been very good. Um, but I think maybe, I think they're not quite at the level Bayern and Dortmund are yet. But they have a great team and we saw against Spurs in the Champions League, they played Spurs off the park, home and away. Um, so, um, so yeah, I think certainly, um, you know, you look at those clubs now um, at the top, I think Leipzig are the ones who might just fall away, but I think they'll finish top three, top four, um, but maybe not um, for them the title this year. Gladbach finished fifth last season. Um, do you think they've pushed on to another level this season, sitting third at the moment, or round about the same? I did Gladbach at the weekend against Frankfurt, and they won, I think, for the uh, was it their seventh away win and their fourth win in a row in the Bundesliga. And um, this is a club who were the Bayern of the 70s, the dominant force. You think back to 1970 to 77, they won five titles. Uh, Jupp Heynckes scoring goals in that team um, for fun, one of the best strikers of all time. But since 77, they've only won one cup, um, which is, for a club of their size, incredible. And um, yeah, uh, the signs are that they're, they're on the way back. Um, they brought in Marco Rosa as a coach who was with yes. in Austria. And he's really made them, you know, a next level team. They, they were strong under Dieter Hecking last year, but they kind of lacked that um, that kind of top four mentality. I think what Rosa's done, um, he's turned them into a team that believes in themselves. Hasn't really done too much in the transfer market. Um, Alessandro Player was already there. Um, Marcus Turan has come in, who is the son of Lilian. And he's been magnificent. Um, they lost to Organizata Dortmund. What position um, does uh, the, the younger Turan play? Left wing, um, or as a striker. Scored at the weekend. I think he's got um, seven league goals now. Um, not prolific, but he was never going to be prolific. That's not really his job. And, and pl- play R plays on the other side, is that right? He does, he does. All through the middle. 
Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're a good team to watch. And Rose has turned what was a workmanlike team into one with a bit of flair and a bit of finesse. And at home especially, they are magnificent at the Borussia Park. Mm. Um, so I think it's maybe a year too soon for the title for Gladbach, although they are still in the race on merit. But um, I think they've certainly kicked on a lot under Marco Rosa, and it's going to be an exciting uh, spell with him in charge going into next season as well, I think. I think Rosa, a lot of people over here um, watched what he did with Salzburg and were wowed because um, watching them, I was covering some of the games when Celtic were playing Salzburg and one of the most impressive performances I've seen at Celtic Park was when he brought his team there and they they played a, a dynamic, quick, attacking style and they did it in such a way that they imposed their game on Celtic which has been a bit easier to do in more recent years. But maybe not for a team like Salzburg, a Barcelona or a Real Madrid doing it, yeah. But, um, yeah, for a team like Salzburg to, to, to come and do that, I think was quite eye-opening. So that was, a, that was an interesting move for me when he went there. Um, you mentioned Kai Havertz and, and Bayer Leverkusen sitting fifth at the moment. Uh, how, how big a part is he of their whole setup? What, what can you tell us about? Because a lot of people over here might remember the Bayer Leverkusen team, the team that had the likes of Bala, Jens Devotny, um, all of the kind of names you remember when they got to the, the, the Champions League final. I don't know why I picked Jens Devotny out there. That was an interesting random one to throw in there. Uh, Bernd Schneider. The striker, of course, was uh, Dimitar Berbatov. Correct. A young version. It was, it was. Uh, the current crop um, are exciting. Uh, Peter Boss is the coach who was with Ajax, had a spell with Dortmund where it didn't really work out, but he's kind of come there with a point to prove in the German game and um, they are exciting. Um, Kai Havertz is the absolute kingpin in that team. He's 20, but kind of leads like he's 25, 26, 27. Um, this may be his last season there. I think there's certainly a case that he will maybe move on for a big, big fee uh, in the summer. Um, so we'll have to see um, if that uh, bears fruit. But right now, enjoy them. They're great to watch. They, they scored a lot of goals. They scored four goals away at Werder Bremen on Monday in the Bundesliga. And um, yeah, I think Havertz, yes, but also players in that team like uh, Leon Bay, the Jamaican, who's got a lot of fans here in the UK in terms of clubs who'd like to sign him. Uh, Kevin Folland, when he's fit in, uh, up front, is a wonderful talent as well. Um, and... They played at the weekend, um, a young man of 17 years and 15 days, Florian Wirtz, uh, the youngest ever player. Uh, and that, again, shows that the Bundesliga clubs, even the ones at the very top, are not afraid to put players in young. They did the same with Kai Havertz. I think Havertz, in his first season, he had to miss uh, a Champions League game in Madrid because he was taking the exams. Um, <laughs> what so, a brilliant story. So, so they are not afraid to put young players in. So maybe Florian Wirtz. Um, is the next one to watch. Maybe he's going to be the next Kai Havertz when he is sold, maybe in the summer. Is he, I think he's a similar type of player, I believe, as well, kind of number 10, sitting behind the striker, yeah? Is that right? He is, yeah. He is, yeah. Excellent. No, I'm just looking at some names from that Leverkusen team. Kirsten was in it, Berbatov was in it, Oliver Neuville, um, who's a, a seasoned veteran of the time, um, players like Hanno Balic as well. Um, so, yeah, who was the Nigerian that you mentioned that a lot of British clubs are looking at, just uh, to tell us Maybe. about him? Leon Bailey. Um, he's a winger come striker who they picked up in, uh, in Belgium in 2017. Got a lot of goals in the Europa League um, for Henk. And he was signed by Leverkusen. First, he didn't really succeed. Second year, came in as a starter and was terrific. Um, he doesn't start that often, um, but... 
when he does, he's a proper big game player. So I think he scored this season goals against both Bayern and Dortmund uh, in wins over them. So when he plays well, Leverkusen tend to play well. He was linked with Chelsea, I know, last summer pretty strongly. Didn't, didn't come to pass. He was linked with them again a few weeks ago. Um, and he's a player, I think, given his, um, his confidence, he's not a, you know, a shrinking violet. I think he'd fit in well in the Premier League. Um, he's got all the attributes, um, really good football brain. As I say, a man who scores goals in the biggest occasions. I saw him score the most outrageous backheel goal at Hoffenheim a couple of years ago. I mean, the kind of goal that comes along once in a lifetime. And mm. he's, got, he's got all that in his locker. So I think Bailey is certainly a player who may well like Habits move on in the summer. So it may be a case next year of Leverkusen having almost to start from scratch and, and build a new team going forward at least. But um, great to watch and um, on their day, they can score goals against anybody. Just a quick one. Is he, is he Jamaican? Is that? Yes. Oh, I, sorry, I said Nigerian. Don't know why I did. Then we go down to a team that in seventh place that you're covering this weekend, Dan, which is Freiburg. So um, they're playing Werder Bremen. Um, so let's let's discuss both of those teams. Actually, let's start off with Werder Bremen. Did you expect them to be second bottom at this stage of the season? No, no one did. Um, they are the longest-serving current unbroken club in the Bundesliga. Um, they replaced their bitter rivals Hamburg in that role a couple of years ago. So um, they were last relegated, I think, 79-80 uh, was the last season they went down. Um, right. Which kind of shows that this is a surprise to be where they are. You say surprise, but it's been on the cards for me for a while in terms of they've had a dreadful defensive record now for five or six years. But this year they haven't scored the goals to kind of balance that out. Um, got beaten again at the weekend at home by Leverkusen 4-1. I think they're five points adrift now of even the relegation playoff position, which it's looking ominous, really ominous, because they're giving goals away for fun. Um, and they've got some good individuals, players like Milot Rashica, who's uh, another attacker, a winger, who has been linked with many, many clubs um, outside of the Bundesliga in the last few weeks. Um, players like Davy Clarsen, who had a, an Everton spell a, a couple of years ago, the yes. um, On paper, it's a decent squad, but for some reason, it ain't working. Um, and yeah, it's, right now they are certainly in the bottom two on merit, if merit's the right word. And it's going to be tough to get out because they are, you know, five points adrift and games are running out. Well, that, that's it. But what happened to, to, to them? Because that was the team. They won the title in 04. I'm sure they finished second and third a few, t- a few other times in the noughties, quite, quite consistently contending and in and about it. What happened? Where did that trajectory start to go wrong for them? I think you go back to the coaching appointments. Um, they've tried to do things like appointing coaches from within. Um, Obviously now Florian Kofel before him, there was uh, Alex Norrie before him, a couple of coaches before there was Victor Skripnik. So they have gone down a route where they've not gone for the big name coach, um, maybe doing things on the cheap a little bit, which maybe in the long term has come back to bite them a bit. But yeah, I think you look at the legacy of that team under Thomas Schaaf in the first decade of this century, the one that won the double in, in, in 04, um, a, a team that the fans there hold in immense regard. That was Werder Bremen's high watermark. Um, and since then, it's been a, a slide. Mm. A lack of consistency. Um, top half finishes now seem a distant dream almost. 
Uh, and this season, as I say, it's been the culmination really of years of, of defensive hopelessness. I watched the game at the weekend uh, against, um, against uh, Leverkusen. They lost three goals to headers. I think they've given away more goals to headed goals this season than any other team in the German top flight. Um, their centre-halves are all over the place. They had injuries start of the season. They were missing a number of defenders, uh, players like uh, Niklas Moisander and Ludwig Augustinsson. Um, Uber Toprak's come in, but he's been injured for a long time as well. And some Kevin Vogt on loan as a centre-half. He looks so short of confidence, it's unbelievable. And they look very soft defensively. You know that put a high ball in the box, you've got half a chance to score a goal because they are so switched off in those defensive situations. So, yeah, they're in trouble. And Freiburg away this weekend, you know, Freiburg, a team who punch way above their weight for what they are. Um, trying to draw comparisons with um, an English club, what would you say Freiburg are? They are basically a championship team who are thriving through great management. It's maybe a bit like the Lambert Norwich in their first season. Mm. Um, They are a club with no great superstars, um, but they play for each other. They've got a wonderful, um, somewhat eccentric coach in in Christian Streich, who's been there since 2011, but at the club for 20, 30 years in various roles. And they play for each other. Um, and yeah, they're up there on merit, um, seventh place. If they were to make European football again, it would be an amazing uh, result for them because every year they tip to be among the relegation contenders and every year mm-hmm. they prove it's wrong. Um, so yeah, for Bremen to go there at the weekend, that is for Bremen a very, very difficult game. So what, what's Freiburg's style then? Or do they adapt to, to sort of make the best of the sum of their parts? Have they, have they got a, a specific identity or way of playing under strike? Um, they're not, as you might imagine, a club of their size to be one that sit back and play on the break too much. They will try and, and, and win games. They play on the front foot when they can. They tend to do their recruitment in the second division. Um, players have come in. Um, from clubs like um, Heidenheim and Sandhausen um, to become, you know, recognised Bundesliga quality players who they then sell on. Um, I know um, Robin Koch, their centre-back, who had a goal ruled out by VAR at the weekend. Already he's got two cats for Germany and he's going to be, I think, their next sale. has been talked, I think, this month of Leipzig or maybe Napoli um, buying him. So again, they're a club that does have to sell to survive and they recruit really well. Um, and yeah, in terms of what they are, they, they are a club who punch above their weight. Their home games in their little Schwarzlachstadion are great because it's such a tight stadium when there are fans allowed in. But they are moving from there when this season's done, which I think may be a problem going forward because that home advantage when that place is full of and, 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 and lively is huge for them. So I think mm. maybe to move from that stadium will be difficult. But um, this season to finish even top half, certainly top seven would be an amazing achievement. Yeah, you've seen similar things in English football um, when Spurs first left White Hart Lane, um, going back as well, Southampton left the Dell, you know. Um, teams can sometimes struggle with that that transition period to the, to the bigger ground, so I think that's an interesting point to bring up. Noticeably, they're in seventh place, but they have a negative goal difference. So it's only the top six teams that actually have a positive goal difference in the Bundesliga this year. Um, don't know if there's too much to be read into that. Sitting in sixth place, just above Freiburg, are Wolfsburg. And they finished sixth last season, I think. 
Um, so do you think it's going to be uh, just a, has, has it been sort of much the same for them this season or have there been many changes uh, to the way things are operating there? Um, what can you tell us about Wolfsburg? Yeah, Wolfsburg this season um, with Oliver Glasner, uh, a new coach who's come in, they are, they're not great to watch. Um, they are probably the one team in that Bundesliga who aren't thrilling for the neutral to, to watch. They are workmanlike. They are they're grafters. Some good individuals. I mean, Van Veghorst, their Dutch striker, um, his goals record in two years now with that club is excellent. Um, Describe him for us as a player. Archetypal target man, but with a bit of, bit, a bit of flair as well. Um, mm. Wonderful finisher. Um, obviously in the air, excellent. And um, yeah, he's been great for them. Uh, great goalkeeper too in Kuncastales. Um, Maxi Arnold in midfield is a really good, aggressive driving force. Has scored a couple of wonderful volleys in games that I've worked on um, this season too. And sixth place, I think it's about right. They're hard to beat. They're, they're hard to break down. They don't score many, but they don't give that many goals away either. Um, and they are the kind of master this year of the kind of one goal victory. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're a good, strong team, but not the team that I would choose to watch if I had a kind of uh, blank match day with uh, my pick of the games to, uh, to to tune into that weekend. I think you'll need to have a word with your boss if he gets you into many of the Wolves games. So nicknamed the Wolves, play like sheep, maybe. Uh, maybe that's a bit harsh. Anyway, down to eighth, you've got Schalke. Uh, we've spoken a little bit about them, but... Well, they're the draw specialists this season. They've drawn 10 of the 26 games, which is the most in the Bundesliga. Is that indicative of anything? Are they just struggling to, to get over the line and get wins? Or is it, is it those defensive frailties that you've spoken of that have been the real issue? What's the, what's the situation um, with I things think, for Schalke and Gelsenkirchen? I think Schalke, obviously, an enormous club. Massive, massive club. But their squad for me just lacks pace. It is such a, a sluggish um, team they have. Um, pace going forward is almost non-existent. Um, and as a result, don't really open up teams enough. Uh, you look at that team, that squad, it's, it's David Wagner's team. So the former Huddersfield manager is their head coach and it's his first season. It's transition in terms of, uh, of him trying to get his ideas across. And he's trying to turn around a, almost like an ocean liner um, in that they were playing under the previous coach last season, the year before that, Domenico Tedesco, whose football was extraordinarily pedestrian. Um, it was very much sit deep, defend. If we, if we nick a 1-0, brilliant. Catanaccio almost. Pretty much, yeah. We'll get a goalless draw here. And But they finished second with that style um, a couple of years ago. Then last season, almost went down. And obviously that cost him his job. So to try and turn around a style and a squad that was built to play the Tedesco way is difficult. And there have been one or two glimpses this season that Schalke maybe are getting things right. Obviously, there's no relegation fight for them to worry about this season. Um, they are safely mid-table. Um, but that will really hurt that derby at the weekend to go to Dortmund and, uh, and be crushed 4-0. And that will really hurt um, because that rivalry, that derby, is, is it's on a par with anything. It's on a par with, with all firm matches, with Merseyside derbies, with... You know, for us, East Anglian derbies, um, it, it, it's up there with the best. And that'll hurt. But uh, I think Schalke, I think that they'd probably take maybe seventh place and maybe uh, the last European place has been success. But um, that's a club, I mean, they, they think, their fans, that they should be up there top two, top three every season. But um, another one that can't quite find that consistency. 
Yeah, so maybe a bit of a rebuild in terms of um, from the... Because this is where a lot of people... Sometimes where the knowledge can fall down when it comes to Germany because it's the sporting director, a bit like you've got Stuart Weber, um, like you've got Mike at Norwich, Michael Edwards at, at Liverpool, who are the, the power behind the scenes. There's so much focus on the head coach that they don't realise that the, the build comes from the sporting director. Do you think it's on that side of things where Schalke need a bit of a re, either a restructure or, or, or to look to, to, to change things, to, to, to fix, the, fix the machine, as it were? Yeah, I think uh, Jochen Schneider's there in the role at the moment and um, he picked up from Horst Helt. And um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you look at Gladbach, uh, sorry, Schalke, and um, it's such a big club. It's such a, a juggernaut. And to try and affect change quickly at a club of that size when things have been done a certain way for so long is difficult. As I say, it's like trying, trying to turn around an ocean liner. Um, mm. And I think David Wagner is the right man to do it. Um, but it will take much more than just this one season to kind of get that team playing the way he wants. Um, so we'll kind of see. But um, yeah, Schalke, it'll be this season, I think, a season of consolidation and transition more than one of really pushing on to be credible at European challenges. Generally speaking, just as you make that point, how how big are politics in German football? Because I look at like, I see kind of Spain and maybe Italy sometimes as, as the real um, places in the, on the continent where the, the political side of things from the boardroom downwards or whatever can really influence matters on the pitch. Um, you look at all of the boardroom spats that have happened at the Bernabeu or whatever uh, over the course of the years. But in German football, is there as much of a, a sort of political power struggle as some of the things? I mean, I can maybe think of the odd sort of situation with Bayern, but that, that's about all I can recall. Is it a big factor in German football? And if so, where is it most acutely noticed? I think, Bayern, you've mentioned there, I think the, I always say that a coach that goes to Bayern has to play not just the team on the field, but the team in the stands. Um, <laughs> as you look at Bayern and their board, um, it's full of legendary figures and of loud voices. So until recently, Uli Hoeneß, now Oliver Kahn's there, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge. Um, you know, these are Bayern greats. And you have to, as a coach, not only win over your team to your ideas, but also these legends in the stands. Um, so politics does play a part in the Bundesliga for sure, the big clubs. Um, I think nowhere is it felt more keenly or more publicly than, than at Bayern. And uh, really a coach does sink or swim there by how well he wins over the likes of Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and uh, those up there uh, in the posh seats. I don't know if it was just the opportunism of getting Pep Guardiola, but I remember Jupp Heynckes winning the treble of the, the German Cup, the Bundesliga and the Champions League and then being given his jotters, and that always struck me as a real wow sort of moment. Um, just continuing on our, our, our sort of crusade down the teams, just to give people a flavour of the different teams, and I think Dan as well, for any of the, the, the punters uh, among, among the listenership, you will be given some predictions on the games coming this weekend, which I'm sure will make you either a figure a villainary sort of figure or or a hero depending on whether people win any money um but uh if we go to ninth place you've got hoffenheim hoffenheim are a team that when i was sort of more heavily involved with the bundesliga in the earlier part of the previous decade that was they were kind of still on their sort of ascension at that point but um they they really they had a period of sort of maybe indifference, you could say, following that sort of real rise to prominence. 
but they've they've consistently been a team who have had the the odd good player that has gone on to better things. Obviously, Nagelsmann did a, uh, great work there as well. Um, tell us a bit about Hoffenheim and, and sort of their story of how they came to the Bundesliga and then the story following that. Well, this is the team that, as well as Leipzig, fans of other clubs love to hate because they were done in a similar way, in essence, to Leipzig, but they were at least a, a club originally um, in the regional leagues. And the software billionaire Dietmar Hopp as a youth player was on their books. And having made his billions through various computer software um, businesses, um, thought, I want to invest in the club that gave me great pleasure as a young boy, TSG Hoffenheim. So he took them over um, many years ago when they were playing essentially village football. Zinsheim is where they're from. It's a village of, I think, 2,000 people. Um, and he turned them into a proper football team. And they went through the leagues. They reached the Bundesliga um, in 2008 um, under Ralph Rangnick. Mm-hmm. Of course, played a part in the Leipzig story as well. And they've been there ever since. Um, always, certainly the first season, really mid-table to relegation strugglers. But then they brought in a coach of, I think when he took over 27 or 28 years old, Julian Nagelsmann, in 2016. And under him, they were transformed. Um, this coach who, his ideas, his, 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 his youthfulness, his adventure, his ambition was obvious. And that first year they survived relegation easily. Next year, I think they finished uh, fourth. And the year after that, they finished third. So playing in the Champions League, Hoffenheim. And it was the ultimate kind of conclusion, I guess, of Hopp's ambition to kind of take his village team that he played for as a young boy to the very top table. What an amazing story. Yeah, that they, they played teams like Man City, like uh, Lyon um, in that uh, group. I think Shakhtar Donetsk as well. So they were playing some big fish. Um, and it was a great story. But a lot of fans, because it was a club really built on money and not the traditional growth of, of a club in the German model, um, to this day, Hopp is a very unpopular figure. We saw protests against him in the Bayern home game. Um, just before um, we had this um, pandemic break. And it's a story which does not go away. They're still a club who are not liked by by the wider community because they are seen as, you know, a plastic club or, or, or new money. And they haven't kind of earned their place at the top table in the way the traditional clubs have. I mean, from my point of view, I don't really care too much for that kind of thing. I think that the team, are, on their day, they're good to watch. They're not as good as they were under Nagelsmann, but they've sold players. They've had to sell players. That's the way they operate. And, um, yeah, I think under Alfred Schroeder, the coach there now, they've been a little bit disappointing this season. They've not really hit the heights, but they are safe mid-table. But that's the half an hour story for you. They are a club who've come a long way in a short space of time, but are now very much established members of the Bundesliga. Yeah, and uh, I think it's... I just think that the fact that they come from such a small place and they've done that is is absolutely amazing. You've touched again on Nagelsmann. Let's speak about him. He is a special coaching talent. What is it that makes him so special? What can he do at such a young age that coaches twice his age can't do with teams? And and because he's proven that he can do it, he can sustain that success in other places. And that for me says, wow, this guy's to be reckoned with. I think tactics and I think also man management. I think, you know, you think he took over at Hoffenheim at 20, I think 28 years old, maybe even 27. I think he was um, 27, yeah. 
Yeah, to be able to handle um, players who are the same age or older than you and get their respect takes some doing. Um, and mm-hmm. he'd not had a pro career. He retired as a young defender um, with injury. So he'd only ever really coached at youth level um, before he got the, the job uh, replacing Marcus Giesdahl at um, Hoffenheim in 2016. And it's been for him just a non-stop uh, roller coaster of success, really. Um, his tactics, um, he likes his teams to keep possession, play with a, a good deal of pace as well. Another one as well who will put faith in young players. Um, and you look at Leipzig, who he's with now. Um, under Ralph Rangnick, they're a team that would counterattack. Um, that was their real method. With Nagelsmann, that's still true, but they play now with more possession. Um, he's got them believing in keeping the ball more, um, using players better um, in those kind of midfield positions. Players like Conrad Leiner has come into his own this season. Um, and they are Leipzig great to watch. I think maybe I said earlier, this year maybe the title is beyond them. But uh, again, for Nagelsmann, it's another step on his road to coaching stardom, really. Um, he won't be at Leipzig forever. We, I think, pretty much can be uh, sure of that. He does speak great English, so maybe that will give a clue to his future destination. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he's the real deal, Nagelsmann. Um, he really is. His teams have been great to watch now for five years in the Bundesliga and um, and yeah, long might continue. What about the dress sense and the sidelines though? I mean, I, I'm not so sure about some of those sets of jeans, you know. You know, he, I don't think he ever wears the same thing twice. So we see through the season a, a range of parkers to shame Daniel Farker. <laughs> we, see, um, we, we see different T-shirts, different, uh, different hoodies. Um, he is the man for all seasons. He's um, a sharp dresser, is uh, Nagel's man. Uh, not really my cup of tea in terms of what he wears, but um, yeah, he's the kind of uh, he's the kind of anti-Tony Pulis, I think. <laughs> in every way possible, um, aesthetically, football-wise, and aesthetically in terms of his dress sense. Excellent. Right, we're going to go a bit more quick fire on um, some of the teams a wee bit further down the table, just because uh, I think we've covered some of the bigger ones. One more that I will pick out just before we do that is uh, Hertha Berlin, because they are obviously from the capital. Uh, and they've been joined this season by um, Union Berlin from the capital as well, which is one of the games that's actually the Friday night game this week. What, what do you think of Hertha this season? Have you been impressed with, they're sitting 11th at the moment, um, eight wins, 11 defeats. Is that, that must be a bit of a disappointment for them, but it's been a total, it's been, it's almost been like a tsunami of different things happening at different times. They're a complete mess um, yeah. from the top down. From, from what I can sense. Yeah, I mean, they were stable for many years um, under Paldar Dai, the previous coach. He went in the last season, they brought in Ante Jovic um, with the idea that he would play a more expansive, more exciting brand of football. Didn't work out. They were awful um, first few weeks of the season. He was fired. Jürgen Klinsmann came in, having not coached a club team, I think, for, for well, over 10 years, maybe 11 or 12 years since his dreadful spell at Bayern. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came in. That didn't work out. He went and... He upset um, a lot of people as well, from what I can yes, discern. Yes, he did. Um, did a lot of his dealings kind of through social media, which upset the club without briefing them first. Um, and now they've gone to a safe pair of hands in Bruno Labbadia, um, who is, you kind of, I think you'd probably say he is what, in terms of English coaches, 
maybe not so much an Allardyce or a Moyes, but that kind of safe pair of hands who will just make sure you're okay. Stylistically um, as well, I mean, a bit more agricultural than some. No, no, I, I just think he's that coach who's been around a lot of clubs and he will. He was at Wolfsburg uh, last season. He will make sure that they're, they're okay. They weren't ever going to get relegated, but they have ownership there now with money as well. So their ambitions are very high. Uh, so they want to spend big and become a major player. Um, there's talk of a new stadium too to move away from the uh, Olympic Stadium to maybe one which is a little smaller because they don't often fill the, the Olympic Stadium in, in, in Berlin. Um, so there's plans for a new stadium. There, there are plans, as I say, to bring in big, big name players um, in the summer. Whether Labadee is a coach of the right profile for the club going forward, um, I don't know. Uh, maybe a situation like when Wolves had uh, Kenny Jacket in charge and the owners maybe wanted a a more sexy name that might yeah. cost another dear dear going forward but um but yeah it's been a poor season union by contrast in their first ever bundesliga season have been a revelation um a club who in essence are second and third division players playing way above themselves um and are in safe mid-table um and it's been it's been a great adventure for them um, you wonder how they'll survive in the second season yeah, uh, and we clubs across the world. First season against all odds, survived by playing you know thirty odd cup ties in essence a season, um, and survived with ease. Next season the kind of adrenaline's gone a bit and it becomes a bit more routine, and they suffer and go down. Union this year brilliant. Next season judge them I think. Yeah, I think I think that's safe to say. Just an interesting one in the fact they don't fill the stadium. What does that say about the fan culture in the capital, maybe? Because obviously Berlin, plenty of people there. Why are they not going to watch the team? I think it's an eighty thousand seat arena, so it's it's big. Um, not many would fill eighty thousand uh, week in week out. Um, they do when they play Bayern and Dortmund, but you know for your run of the mill league games, it's a struggle. Uh, and also, Hertha have not had success. Um, they've always been a team to kind of bounce around in mid-table, relegation every now and again. They're not a team with any consistent success over a period of time. So I think, as a result, the, the crowds have never been that high. And they want to move to a stadium which will be more easy to fill and maybe... Because don't forget, it has a running track. It's a, it, it was the 1936... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very hard to, to, to generate an atmosphere there. It's a wonderful old arena. I mean, it's where they play the cup final each year. It's historic, but it doesn't really, as a league venue, really work for her to Berlin. So that's where they want to move. Yep, makes sense, especially with the passion of the German fans in the stands. So many of the other stadiums, they're right on top of you. It's really losing something if you if you don't have that. FC Cologne are probably the team I know a wee bit about. I can remember speaking to you in the summer when I covered the pre-season friendly. They played the St Mary's against Southampton. There's quite a lot of interesting cultural things about Cologne. It's also the hub from which the, the Bundesliga sort of media team and, and stuff and, and the group of commentary guys all run their operations. So before we talk about the team, just tell us a bit about Cologne as a city and why it's such a cool place. It is a cool place. Um, it's almost my kind of second home these days. I spend so much time there. Um, it's I look at it like Norwich to a degree where the whole mood of the city depends on the club. When Köln or Norwich are flying high, the city's on a high. And it's very similar um, in Cologne. When, when FC Köln are winning games, when they're doing well, they're playing the good teams and, and they're beating them, the city's jumping. 
and we know that this kind of quirky club um, they are the the archetypal yo-yo up and down between the top two divisions in the last few years they're the team who've got the live goat is the mascot henners um yes we go, go and see him in Cologne Zoo, um, as I did with my girlfriend uh, last October. That's brilliant. Um, it's fantastic. And uh, they are, they're the, I think they're everyone's second team in the German game because they're so quirky, because they're so out there. Um, and also, German football clubs get Twitter. You know, their English accounts, they're funny. They're, they're Absolutely true. Um, so, so I'd recommend following... Um, Cologne's English account, Leverkusen's is very good, Gladbach's is superb as well. Um, this kind of humour, which we don't always associate with the Germans, do we, as being funny, but um, their Twitter accounts really do get things spot on. Do you know what? That had, that had never been a thought that occurred to me. That's really ironic. People think uh, like Germans, like archetypally, is like really dry, sort of humourless people. Their Twitter accounts are brilliant. Like, honestly, some of them have reinvented, like, when it comes to transfer speculation, whatever. They're just a bit bolder, you know, than a lot of the kind of dry stuff you see from the English clubs. Well, don't forget when they played Celtic, wasn't it, uh, Gladbach? Um, the famous um, sign, Celtic versus a German team. Um, mm-hmm. They that Twitter out. I think they actually changed their, for a few weeks, they changed their English account to just a German team. <laughs> um, so yeah I mean they kind of get how social media works and uh, I think Cologne certainly Cologne are at the forefront of that definitely um, Eintracht Frankfurt sitting 13th in the table at the moment um, and probably would you say that's a bit below where they would expect to be um, I can remember the, the, the team is, is Meyer still there I remember Meyer oh, no, no, being... he's now gone um, yeah, um, so I, I can remember watching the team with him, and they were really, really handy. So, what's the what's the journey? That was a few years ago. Now, what was the what's the journey been in the sort of five years since then? Well, this season, huge underachievement. They obviously uh, made the uh, Europa League semi-finals against Chelsea last season. Goodness me! So they did. This year, they've been way, way off it. But I'll tell you why. Um, in the summer, they lost their front three. So Sebastian Allaire to West Ham. Uh, Ante Rebic to Milan and uh, Luka Jovic to Real Madrid. That was 41 goals in league football alone they lost last wow. season. So that is hard to replace. And the players have come in, players like Baz Dost, haven't really um, been at the same level. And um, yeah, as a result, they've struggled. They've had to, again, balance European football with the Bundesliga. They've had it tough to do so this season. And yeah, they're 13th and they're not safe yet. I think they're only five or six points off the relegation playoff and they're out yep. of form. They go to Bayern this weekend as well. Um, so yeah, difficult times for, for, for Frankfurt, but um, a club who this season have been way below expectation. I note that they have a game in hand on everyone, but that's against Werder Bremen. So um, if Werder can put a few results together and um, should there be a few more games where Eintracht struggle, that could become a real relegation six-pointer, couldn't it? It could. I mean, Frankfurt should be okay. They should be okay. They have the players to, to be all right. But um, they're in this awful run. I think they've lost four in a row, which is their worst run for three years. And uh, losing habits are hard to break. And as I say, when you go to Bayern next, that could become five games they've lost in a row. So um, tough, tough times. Tough one. Um, just below them, FC Augsburg. Um, tell us about Augsburg, their, their sort of trajectory. Um, because they were, am I right in saying they, they were never traditionally a Bundesliga team, but have now become quite a fixture? 
No, came up, I think, in the early part of the last decade for the first time, and have become pretty much a fixture ever since. Um, What's the secret to that been then? I think judicious choice of coaches and selling players on at the right time and reinvesting the money pretty wisely. Um, you look at Augsburg now and they are, you know, in terms of budget, certainly in the bottom half of teams, um, but they kind of punch above their weight. They've made a change of coach. Um, they've brought in Heiko Herlich. Um, his first game was going to be last weekend, but he broke quarantine. He went out of the camp to buy um, toothpaste and skin cream, which is against the, um, the protocols of the restart. Oh, naughty boy. He couldn't be on the bench for the game. The club have since um, he's apologised. It's all been uh, cleared up. We should say as well, skin cream, because a few years ago he, he had cancer. So he has to be very careful. Um, bit fair. Um, so, so, yeah, um, that, that was an issue. Um, but, um, but yeah, Augsburg this season have been poor. They've been smashed. I saw them get beaten at Gladbach, I think 5-1. They were, I think, four down at half time. And, um, yeah, when they are poor, they are dreadful. Um, but they can win games. When they have um, their Iceland striker fit, Alfred Finn Bogason, they do have a threat. You know, they, they can beat teams. But the back there way way open too often this season and that's why they are where they are and they're another team who are by no means safe this season mm-hmm. so um just in terms of sort of key men for a couple of the other team that we've mentioned um i'm quite interested in just just nipping back to hertha for a minute who do you think is going to be the key man that they can build around in years to come um a young winger who came from man city uh, javara dilrazen uh dutch winger um like a lot like Jaden Sancho in that he didn't really get a chance at Man City um, was allowed to to leave and join Hertha he's had a couple of years there now and he's kind of grown um, with each season needs to find consistency as, as young players often find difficult but there's a player there he scored one or two outstanding individual goals this season and um, yeah he could be if Hertha do you know turn things around he could become a, a very important player for them Mm-hmm. What about uh, Schalke, Hoffenheim? Any players you would pick out in those squads? Schalke, I like um, a couple of players there. There's a young Turkish defender, Ozan Kabak, who they got in from Stuttgart um, after their relegation. And mm-hmm. uh, he was playing for Galatasaray at 18, um, just think made his Turkey debut as well recently, and uh, looks to have all the skills to be a, a really top-level defender for years to come. And the American too, Western McKenney can play a number of roles, probably best as a holding midfielder. Um, he's going to have a good career as well, uh, a bright future. So those two from Schalke. Uh, for Hoffenheim, again, they've lost players um, across the last 12 months. I do like Pavel Kadijarbek, their Czech wing-back. Uh, not a young player as such, but one who is uh, always very um, attack-minded and, and, and does offer a lot um, to the team. But, um, yeah, the, the player that signed to score goals, uh, Munas Dabor, uh, striker did good things. Yes. With and then with Sevilla, didn't work out Sevilla at all, so moved on after six months to join Hoffenheim. He was then injured in his first couple of games, so he's missing uh, mm. with a long-term injury. But, um, yeah, I think uh, they've, they've had to sell players and haven't replaced them with, with players who have been at the same level as the ones who've moved on. Um, we mentioned sort of Freiburg and the, the the amazing sort of achievements they've had. Any particular key men in that? 
I like you, you've got to turn Schmid, um, who's a, a winger. He's been there, it's his second spell there now, but he is one of the best free kick takers you'll see in the Bundesliga. Um, scored a couple this season, um, really aggressive, um, exciting winger, not the most skillful, but really direct. Um, I like him. I mentioned earlier the young defender, Robin Hock, um, who is on the radar at uh, Napoli, certainly, and Leipzig. They were close in, um, to Bayern in, in January, I think. So, yeah, I think all the teams have players who, who stand out. Um, and that's the league in a nutshell, is that every team has players who, who make that each game worth watching. Mm. Excellent. That, that's good stuff. Um, just going to quickly run through a few teams at the bottom. The ones that we've not covered so far are Mainz, Dusseldorf and Paderborn. So do you just want to give us a quick appraisal on each of them? Um, all clearly struggling, as the uh, league table would show. Paderborn, um, first season up, just a second of the season at this level. And they won promotion twice in two years. So maybe a case of going too far too quickly. Um, they are a team really of third division players and second division players. They've taken Dennis Rabaini from Norwich. Uh, he's got a couple of goals since he's come in in January, but ultimately they are not. One against Bayern, I believe. Is that he right? Did, he did, yeah. He did at, at Bayern, but ultimately they're not good enough to stay up uh, and they won't. Um, we should mention Fortuna Dusseldorf, too, in the playoff position. Um, a club who, in their first year up last season, did really well. But again, for them, this is second season syndrome. Yeah. And they've not really kicked on. They rely too much um, for goals on uh, Oven Hennings. Um, there's not many goals apart from him in that team. They're missing their first choice goalkeeper too, Zach Stefan injured, the player on loan from Man City. Yeah, the um, American fella. Yes, correct. Um, good, on his day, really good goalkeeper, but injured and um, they're missing him. They're playing a, a young guy, Kasten Meyer, who's come in um, with no real experience and it's tough to adapt when your team's in that position to be their goalkeeper with no experience. Yeah, tough, you. tough. And then Mainz, um, Mainz, it's been tough. They are, they are struggling. Um, they've had mid-season changes of coach. Their main striker, Mateta, missed half the season injured. And it's difficult. Again, they're another team like Augsburg who've become a regular in that league over the last 15 years or so. And at some point they will go down. I think they might be okay this season, but it'll be very close. So if you were to pick a bottom three right now, would it be the three teams there at the moment who are Dusseldorf, Werder Bremen and Paderborn? And would it be in that order? What, yes. what would you say? I think the bottom two, you can accept as being the bottom two when it finishes. And then it's between Fortuna and Mainz and maybe Augsburg for the playoff. Um, now, now that's interesting that you don't see any shoots of sort of recovery potential for Werder Bremen, and we've seen it in the German league. It's, it seems to be a recurring thing that if you have a bad season, you're gone. You look at Stuttgart, you look at Cologne as well, another big team. Um, I mean, the, these teams, it's not like the Premier League where you've got a certain level of club, even down to say like an Everton or something, perhaps a few even under that, where you would say, right, they're pretty much immune from relegation. They're not going to have that bad a season that they're going to go down. And particularly with just two sort of automatic relegation positions, what is it about German football that it can be so yo-yo for some of these big, big clubs? I don't know. I mean, I think you've called it right there, you know, with the clubs who you've seen. I mean, Stuttgart and Köln are the kind of classic, you know, poster boys for that yo-yo nature. Um, but, and also the, the second division is hard to escape from. Mm. So I, I think, you know, when you, when you become a club with that yo-yo history, it's very hard to break it. 
And, um, you know, Köln will have a good year, then a bad year. Stuttgart the same, you know, great one year, then bottom two the next. And you can't quite put your finger on why. But, um, yeah, I think um, it's hard to break that cycle. And, um, yeah, if Werder Bremen go down, I mean, they've seen their, their bitter rivals Hamburg go down. They didn't come up at the first time of asking last season either. So it is hard if you go down to come back first time. And if you don't come back first time, it gets even harder. Yeah, exactly, because then, I mean, the, the lack of Bundesliga funding for a year. So, obviously, in England, there, there's a massive disparity between the money in the Premier League and the, the, the money in the lower reaches of the game. Is it quite as pronounced in Germany? No, it's not as pronounced, um, but obviously there is a, a huge gulf between the top two divisions in terms of finance, but it's not the kind of cliff edge I don't think that we have in the Premier League if... Uh, if you know a big club goes down in England and doesn't come back for a couple of years, it can really break a club. It's not quite that uh, that life or death. I don't think in the Bundesliga. Well, that doesn't surprise me because a lot of the way it's run in Germany is, is does sort of seem to be better. I'm going to run through a few quick fire things before the prediction, but just before I do that, I want to ask about the. The, the one thing that I'm getting is I heard you say for a few teams there it's like they are a selling club they are a selling club is the only club that's not a selling club Bayern Munich yes and buying buy the players from, from their rivals it's almost become a joke that you know any team that pushes Bayern close will end up selling their best players to Bayern that next summer um, so yeah Bayern do have the financial clout we know that they've got massive sponsorship deals um, they have the biggest one of the biggest stadiums um, they have this kind of global fan base where they get you know merchandising money and 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 shirt deals and all that kind of thing. So so Bayern are the biggest fish and the ones who don't have to sell players and the ones who can spend the biggest fees bringing players in. Um, and that's the way it is. Are German um, fans not tired of that though? And is there not some sort of move or, or campaign or swell of? Well, of something afoot where it's like, let's try and level this playing field out. I know you've got financial fair play and all of these kind of window dressing exercises, but is there, is there not some sort of swell for change in German football to try and adjust that a wee bit? Yeah, I mean, people are sick of Bayern being the dominant force, but it's just the nature. I mean, Bayern are the biggest club, biggest fan base across the world. And um, as a result, have the kind of, you know, the, the kind of financial clout to, to back that up. So it's, it's hard to break. You know, it's like any league, you know, how do you break in France the PSG cycle or in England, you know, the, the, the big four, big five? They're big clubs and it's very hard to, you know, to stop a big club being a big club, isn't it? So um, it's just the way of it, I'm afraid. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. No, no, I mean, I, I think you can point it. It's not just a Bundesliga thing. It's probably... Um, it's probably applicable across most of the leagues in Europe. Look at UV in Italy or, or whatever. Um, right, what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to go through some quick-fire questions, then we'll do some weekend predictions and we're out. So, your favourite young player to watch in the Bundesliga? Um, probably Jaden Sancho, because, uh, you know, you watch him play and um, things happen. He's that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, favourite player of any sort in the Bundesliga? Your, your number one top guy to, to commentate on? Robert Lewandowski, because just, uh, as I said earlier, a goal-scoring machine. Right, so I think we've got our midfielder and our striker answers to this question, but best goalkeeper? And that's tough. Um, there are, obviously, Manuel Neuer for years and years has been number one. Not quite so much the last couple of seasons. I would probably go for Gladbach's Jan Zoma. Um, wonderful shot stopper, the Swiss. Not the tallest, but uh, pulls off some remarkable saves. 
Okay. Um, I like to split this into two questions. So best attacking defender and best defensive defender. So essentially, probably a centre-back and a full-back. The full-back um, is a winger who's been, <coughs> this year, has become a full-back. That's uh, the young Canadian Alfonso Davies at Bayern, who um, <coughs> has been excellent. I mean, came in really as a, as a left winger um, from, um, I think, Vancouver Whitecaps in MLS and has been, since he's come in, wonderful. So, so him as a centre-half, Martin Hinteregger at uh, Frankfurt, um, the Austrian. Uh, this is a guy who, in his spare time, um, plays the accordion. He flies helicopters. He wants to be a, a police pilot. Uh, a real character. And uh, I think he's got six league goals from, from, from set plays. And um, he's one of the, you know, he's, a, he's already a kind of Frankfurt cult hero. And he's kind of, I think, everyone's favourite player, not from their club, is Martin Hinteregger. Nice one. Um, favourite midfield destroyer and favourite midfield creator? Well, creator's easy. I mean, Thiago, who at Bayern is uh, as good as anybody, I think, in the world in that position. Uh, in terms of uh, midfield destroyer, let's have a think. In terms of players who you know are going to get booked every week, you look at Dominic Kaur at, um, at Leverkusen, he's like a walking yellow card. Um, <laughs> but I think midfield destroyers... Not really a destroyer, but certainly a holding player. I've really enjoyed Conrad Lima this season at, uh, at Leipzig. Mm, okay. Favourite team stylistically to watch? Um, to watch... Le- Leverkusen takes some beating because they are so full of goals. Um, Leipzig and Dortmund as well. But I think this season probably I've enjoyed Leverkusen games as much as anybody's. Favourite fan base? Got to be Curl. Um, they're a fan base who, who, who know their club's limitations they, they know they are what they are and that's a yo-yo team but one with this wonderful kind of sense of, of mischief and fun and um, I think Köln City when they played Arsenal a couple of years ago they took 30,000 fans to London which Brilliant. tells you that's a proper proper club with a proper fan base Favourite head coach? Nagelsmann I think for what he is and what he can be I think um, having been there when he began his journey to see him on that road now and seeing where it's going to lead him is very exciting. Favourite person behind the scenes, so i.e. sporting director or, or, or kind of director of football type? Um, sporting director. The one that you admire the most in terms of the work they've done, maybe? I think Ralph Rangnick. Um, not anymore at Leipzig in terms of uh, director of sport. He's kind of the overseeing guy now in charge of the entire Red Bull operation. But... He's a guy who really revolutionised um, the modern style of game in Germany in the early 2000s with, uh, or no, sorry, the early, late 90s with Ulm. And um, his kind of blueprint's been over a lot of clubs now. You think of Hoffenheim and Leipzig, obviously, as the kind of cases in point. I think the kind of ranking blueprint, uh, blueprint is one which um, you can kind of see now all over clubs in Germany. Brilliant. And uh, one that's, that's kind of just for you. Your favourite moment or goal or, or whatever as a commentator covering the Bundesliga at any point? No question. Um, last season, the Classica at Zignaladuna Park. Bayern winning the game uh, 2-1. Dortmund bring on Paco Alcacer. It gets to 2-2. Alcacer scores the winning goal and I went absolutely crazy on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Brilliant. We'll need to find a clip of that. If you can find a clip of it, send it to me and I'll use that to punt this podcast. Brilliant. Let's have a look through the weekend fixtures. So any of you punters that are relying on Dan, this is the moment where you either come to love or hate him. But I can assure you he's a very good friend and a good guy to go for a coffee with if you're ever in Norwich. Right. Um, Friday night games, Hertha Berlin, Union Berlin. Who's winning that? Difficult. I mean, Hertha, obviously, with their first game in charge uh, with uh, Labadee last week, won at Hoffenheim impressively. So, um, yeah, I'd probably lean towards Hertha. It'll be obviously a derby. No fans there, but um, only the the second ever top flight derby between these two clubs. But I think it's Hertha's this one. How did the other one go? It was Union won it 1-0 with, with a late penalty. Mm. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I think I think Hertha, given the change of coach, given hopefully now they've got rid of the kind of uncertainty of the Klinsman days, I think maybe Hertha now will I think begin to become a more uh, a more stable and steady ship. Excellent. Uh, so on to the Saturday games. Gladbach, Bayer Leverkusen. Good game this. Really yeah. good game. Two teams who score goals, two teams who are in that title race. Uh, and maybe the losers will be out of the race, um, given the uh, these two teams are up mm. there challenging. Um, I'd pro- the game is in, in, in Leverkusen, isn't it? Um, uh, the game, no, the game's at Borussia Park. Sorry, Borussia Park. Okay. Um, Gladbach's form there is very good. I know there are no fans, so maybe the home form does go out the window a bit. I think we only had one home win last weekend, and that was Dortmund. So I, I think Gladbach certainly will win the game. I think both will score. But I think Gladbach may be uh, 2-1. Oh, I like that. Both teams to score may be a good shout in that one for any of you punters out there. Um, off to the Volkswagen Arena for Wolfsburg Dortmund. Again, two teams right at the top end of the table. Yeah, but Dortmund's need for the win is greater to kind of keep the heat on Bayern, especially given they play Bayern uh, the following Tuesday. Um, so I'd lean towards a Dortmund win, but it'll be, it'll be tight. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, Wolfsburg are at the back really tough to break down it could be a 1-0 this um, yeah 1-0 Dortmund yep nice one then the game you're on Freiburg Werder Bremen how is that going well I think it's hard to look too far beyond Freiburg given Bremen's lack of any form um, Freiburg obviously themselves seventh place and looking for that unlikely European uh, qualification position um, so Frank, uh, Freiburg, we know, score goals and Werder Bremen give them away for fun. So I would probably say Freiburg by a couple of goals here. Interesting. Uh, Paderborn, Hoffenheim at the Benteler Arena. Paderborn need to win to really stay in with any hope of staying up. Um, Hoffenheim last week had an awful home defeat to Hertha Berlin. Hoffenheim should win it. Um, but given Hoffenheim's lack of form and Paderborn's massive need for points... Paderborn might get a point at least here, if not an unlikely win. Uh, so, close call. I'll say maybe a 1-1 draw this. Okie dokie. Uh, the later game on Saturdays, Bayern against Eintracht Frankfurt at the Allianz Arena. Who are we going for there? Uh, I know who I would pick. Yeah, I think Bayern. And given uh, Eintracht's awful form, I think their last two away matches, both 4-0 defeats against Dortmund and Leverkusen. So, they're giving goals away for fun. Uh, three more at the weekend against um, Gladbach. So, again, I, I look towards a, a Bayern win by maybe as many as three or more goals. Cool. Just before I come on to the Sunday fixtures, right, I noticed that a lot of the, the, the so-called glamour games are actually on the Saturday. So, 
Um, if I was to pick out two fixtures from that, I would say, just because of league position alone, Gladbach, Leverkusen and Wolfsburg, Dortmund. But they're both on your, your standard Saturday time slot, whereas it's uh, one of the games on, on the Sundays like Cologne, Fortuna Dusseldorf, which is not quite as glamorous. So how does it work in terms of the way the TV games are scheduled in Germany? Is that a wee bit different? I think it is. I think, obviously, there is, there is a desire to put uh, in the prime slots, which are the late Saturday and the weekend, and the, sorry, the Sunday games, um, the more significant matches. They have to consider two things like European commitments, as we do in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And they make those TV calls quite late. I mean, maybe only four weeks before the game happens to get some idea of which games really do matter. Obviously, policing is an issue, too, when fans are allowed in. But, uh, but yeah, it's not... You know, often you get the big games at you know two thirty Saturday afternoon. I think we had the derby. Uh, Dortmund Schalke was a, a standard kickoff this this season, uh, not the kind of late top spiel at uh, five thirty. Um, so um, so yeah, it's certainly um, it, it's different how they do things there. But yeah, it's um, it's not unusual to see the bigger games being played in the kind of um, less glamorous, less TV friendly time slots. Mm. No, I just find that quite an interesting sort of way of doing things where it, it just goes to show the difference in terms of when you let the TV companies dominate all of the decision making or where the league has a bit more control, you know. Anyway, Sunday games. Schalke Augsburg is the first one. Tough one, this, because Augsburg's need for points is probably bigger than Schalke's. Um, but And Schalke, we know, have been themselves this season very hard to watch and, and, and find goals very hard to come by. You know, I did say there aren't many goalless draws in this league. This could be one, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, tight, may, maybe even nil-nil. Okay. FSV Mainz against RB Leipzig at the Opel Arena. I think Leipzig, given they dropped points at home to Freiburg at the weekend, need to win this one to really stay in that title race. Mm. Um, Mainz need points to avoid relegation. Um, and Leipzig, certainly, if they turn it on, if Werner and co find their groove and find the rhythm, but they can score three or four goals here. Um, so I'd probably lean towards a, a Leipzig win. It has to be, I think, in the title race, a Leipzig victory. So I'd probably say um, Leipzig to win this one 2-0 maybe. Okie dokie. And last one of the lot is Cologne against Fortuna Dusseldorf at the Rhein Energy Stadion on Sunday well, evening. I think Cologne's home form, uh, really, since Marcus Gistel came in as their coach, has been remarkable. Um, they did lose a two-goal home lead at the weekend, um, in a draw with Mainz um, but I just and this as well is a local derby I mean Dusseldorf and Cologne are only half an hour apart by train ah. um, it's a proper derby this I mean Cologne see um, the game with Gladbach as their traditional derby but this, this is another local derby it's not it, it's not the big game for the fans but it is certainly a, a derby in terms of geography um, I think Cologne given their form I think you'd kind of look towards a home win here Excellent stuff. Right. What we're going to do to wrap up then, um, and I'm aware that you have uh, other commitments, being a, a media man in demand, especially with the popularity of the Bundesliga, mate. Just to, just to finish up, let's talk a bit about what people can can really benefit from by, by getting into the Bundesliga. I mean, it's become the league that you love covering the most. What about these people that are newcomers? What is there they are waiting to be tapped into to enjoy? I think the... The brand of football is very, very good. I think you look certainly at um, the Premier League and having worked on that for 11 years plus, there are a lot of games that you go to, I think, to games I saw on Match of the Day, 
places like Wigan and Middlesbrough and West Brom, where you knew you were going to get a dreadful game because the home team wouldn't try and win it and the away team wouldn't try and lose it. So you'd get these awful stalemates. You don't get that in the Bundesliga. Mm. Um, teams will try and play to win, home or away. It's rare to see a team park the bus. I just think it's that... Except Wolfsburg. Except <laughs> Wolfsburg. But it's not a naivety, but it's... it's it's a sense of adventure, which I think is lacking in the Premier League, certainly, or has been um, in, in, in previous seasons. And it's just, um, it's, it, it's a way of playing that I, I just really enjoy. And I think it's rare you get a game that doesn't have something in it to, 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 to merit it, really. It's rare you get a, a nothing game in the Bundesliga. And um, yeah, I think those who are new to it will enjoy it because um, it's, they're clubs with, with tradition and fan culture and history. It's very, very easy to embrace that as well as newcomers. Um, so I think English fans will very soon have their, their kind of adopted German club. And um, I hope today we've kind of given some idea as to, as to who people should maybe go and follow. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping will happen from this. Hopefully people will have teams that they've, they've decided are, are going to be theirs. Um, I don't actually have a German team. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Dortmund just because of my time growing up. But I actually think, just being the contrarian that I am, that I think I might adopt Hoffenheim as my team. Uh, just because I think that's a great story. And I come from a village that's quite small. And I just like the idea of a local software billionaire building West Bride amateurs into a team that could play in the Champions League. I think that's absolutely remarkable. So maybe maybe that's the direction that I'm going to go in. What, what do you think of my pick? Do you think that's a decent one? Not bad, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not sure if blue is your colour, but um, get yourself a shot. <laughs> And see how it looks. Well, I'm certainly singing the blues on... Uh, well, I'm not even on furlough, mate. I'm just sitting here jobless and moneyless, but hey-ho. So I can sing the blues, and I'm used to my team losing when I'm wearing blue anyway, being a Scotland fan, so hey-ho. Anyway, fantastic, Dan. Thank you very, very much for your time. And I think your, your knowledge and experience will be of massive benefit to, to anyone who's looking to get into the Bundesliga and, and really throw themselves into enjoying... The, the football coming to us across from Germany. Uh, from your own perspective, are, are you looking for? Are you just glad to be working again and and getting the getting the weekly sort of fix of covering teams and, and doing what you love best? Yeah, relieved, but also feel lucky because don't forget, there's a lot of guys and girls and and people in our line of work who aren't working right now. Um, I'm one of them. Precisely, yeah. So so all of us who work on the Bundesliga, we are acutely aware that we are immensely fortunate because, as I say, there are hundreds of people in both the, the on-air and also the behind-the-scenes roles in sports media who aren't working at the moment. So, so that's why I've tried on social media certainly to be not too triumphalist, to be very much, you know, we're lucky to be back, we're lucky to be having this, uh, because I know people are hurting, you know, good mates of mine. I mean, I've had countless texts from, you know, well-known commentators saying, are there any games going spare because, you know, I haven't worked for two months. Um, so it's difficult, you know, to be, we're so lucky to be back and, and so lucky to be working, but equally we're all mindful that, you know, it could easily be a case where we weren't working. If the Germans hadn't got things so right in terms of how they dealt with the virus and got on top of it, we could be in the same boat as guys who work on the French league or the Belgian league or Serie A or La Liga, um, or of course football in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, so, yeah. and England, mate. I, like, I mean, I obviously got a lot of my business working in games down south, and that's that's completely gone by the wayside. But 
I mean, it's another discussion for another day. And if we had a bit more time, we might get into the, the kind of government side of this, because I know you're quite active politically in, in terms of your political opinions and stuff on Twitter and good on you for being so. But if folk do want to find you on social media and find your work, where can they find you? Uh, Twitter at Dan O'Hagan, so D-A-N-O-H-A-G-A-N, uh, Twitter and um, yeah, Instagram, I think I'm Dan O'Hagan 78. Yes, indeed. Make sure and follow Dan on all his social channels. And I'm on Twitter as well, at Hodgie the Hack, as well as the podcast itself, at My Corona Pod. That's all for today. So thanks for listening and continuing to support this wee podcast venture. My Corona Podcast can, of course, now be found on all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on Facebook as well. So if you search for My Corona Podcast by Hodgie the Hack on any of those podcast channels or on Facebook, you should find us. And make sure to like, share and subscribe if you do enjoy what I'm doing. But that's all Troops and Troopettes. I've been Hodgie the Hack. We'll be back later this week with episode eight, which promises to be another cracker. But in the meantime, stay safe and as always, stay safe.